Well, thank you, Leo Day. That is a beautiful, beautiful presentation, and I thank you for the sentiments in it. It fits right in with our message today. And if you were not here on Friday night to hear Leo Day sing Down From His Glory, you need to go by and check out a recording on that, listen to it. Uh, he'll take you to heaven about three times. The problem is he keeps bringing you back. But in any event, uh, don't uh, miss it. Take your Bible and turn to the 23rd chapter of Second Samuel today. The 23rd chapter of Second Samuel. And we're going to read together in just a moment the first seven verses. While you're turning to that, and I hear the shuffling of leaves about five or six. You ought to always keep your Bible with you, but the least you can do is have it on your phone. And uh, so uh, with your phone on for this part of the service, the reading of God's word from Second Samuel. You know, it is marvelously interesting to visit the Tombstone Graveyard in Arizona if you've never been there. The... Uh, sayings on the graves of those who died and were buried there in the tombstone cemetery are a scintillating insight into the lives they lived and the deaths they died. By the same token, the last words of any individual are oftentimes an index into his heart to understand those things that he holds dear. For example, um, um, actress Joan Crawford said as a woman prayed for her, her last words, an expletive followed by, don't you dare ask God to help me, end of quote. Bob Marley said, quote, money can't buy life, end of quote. And uh, Adoniram Judson on his deathbed, having gone through every difficulty imaginable, said, quote, I go with the gladness of a schoolboy bounding away from school. I feel so strong in Christ. Jack Pogue of Dallas, Texas, kept asking me, why do you keep telling me that I'm to stay close to Dr. Criswell? I'm staying as close to him as I can. I knew the pastor was not going to be here much longer. And uh, I wanted Mr. Pogue to be there to be sure that he recorded whatever the final thing would be that that uh, W.A. Criswell would say. And sure enough, Dr. Criswell spoke one final time, and Mr. Pogue called me immediately on the phone. And he said, well, you'll never believe what he said. And I said, well, tell me, what did he say just before he passed away? And he said he looked at me with eyes as bright as though they were at a party. And he said, are we going to the revival? Yes, Dr. Griswold, we're going to the revival. And what a marvelous insight of where his heart and uh, love was at that time. The last words of David are recorded for us. And it's altogether different than what we would have expected to hear Listen to what is said of David in chapter 23 of 2 Samuel. Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, 
and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel broke, uh, spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, the morning without clouds, like a tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. And although thy, my house is not so with God, yet he has made a covenant with me, an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall all be as the thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with the hands. But a man who touches them may be, must be armed with iron and with the shaft of a spear. They shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. End of quote. What unusual last words for a man of the stature of David. But I want you to just look at each segment of this statement by David and see what we can learn about it this morning. First of all, David says, thus says David, the son of Jesse. Now, David, why didn't you say, thus says David, the king of England or the, the king of Israel? Why, why didn't you point to your explo exploits that you did, the conqueror of the Philistines or some other thing like that? But what you say is, thus said David, the son of Jesse. For all of the greatness of this man David, for all of his incredible accomplishments, folks, he was a human being. He was the son of Jesse. And he points to that which illuminates the fact that he was a commoner. He is the shepherd king. He wasn't even brought in to appear before Samuel. When Samuel was looking for a king to inaugurate, he was left in the field. He was too young. He was inappropriate for the job of kingship. If you ever get to thinking that you're so insignificant that you don't matter in the plan and purpose of God, let me tell you that it's a question of your heart. It doesn't matter if you happen to be following the sheep. It doesn't matter whether you are left out in the field when the other boys are brought in to see if God will choose one of them. It's in your heart. And if it's in your heart to be a servant of God, you're not going to be disappointed in life. God is going to take you and use you beyond anything you could ever imagine if your heart is open to God. If you remember where you came from, there was a time in Baptist life in this country when 80% of all of our pastors grew up on a farm or a ranch. Can you imagine that? They grew up as commoners and God took them and use them to do unbelievable things. The more you see yourself as the commoner that you are, the more likely it is that God will raise you up and use you. So he says, I am the son of Jesse. 
And thus says the man that was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob. That word anointed there, Mashiach. That is the Messiah. Only he knows he's not really the Messiah, but the word means the anointed one. So the anointed one of the Lord of Jacob and the pleasant psalmist of Israel. He's not bragging about his ability in the musical field here. He is simply calling your attention to the fact that many of the Psalms were written by David as a testimony to the grace of God. And so that's how he identifies himself. And now he comes with his last words. Listen to this. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. Now, the first thing David thinks of, He's on his deathbed, and he tells us who he is. And then the first thing that comes to his mind is that he has spoken to us the word of God. That's probably not the first thing that would come to your mind. Certainly not the first thing that would come to my mind, although I wish it were so. But the most amazing miracle to David is that the spirit of the living God came and spoke to men through him. Unbelievable. That's exactly what Jesus said of him when Jesus turned the tide on the Pharisees and asked them a question and said, David's son, um, uh, who, who is David's son? And they said, well, of course, he's the son of Jesse. Well, then he said, how is it that David, by means of the Spirit, said, the Lord said unto my Lord, and so he mentioned he spoke by means of the Spirit. Not everything David said was God's Word, was Scripture, but much of it was. And that's the thing that most memorable, most memorable to David. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his Word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the Rock of Israel spoke by me. GQ magazine yesterday had a wonderful article. That article had to do with the Bible. And the author, let's see, what was his name? I've already forgotten it. He was insignificant. And the editor of GQ magazine, old, uh, <clears throat> can't remember his name either, but they concluded that the Bible is a boring book and unworthy of your time in reading it. They concluded that, although nobody can remember their names, almost all around the world, everybody knows the name of Paul, and they identify him with the writing of the Bible. There's hardly a culture anywhere who wouldn't know David and Moses, and they're remembered as those who gave us the Bible. And it may be true that for some, the Bible is a boring book and not worthy of their reading. But you see, you've got to make a basic decision. Did God speak in Holy Scripture or did he not? And here on his deathbed, David is about to leave this world. And the thing that he remembers is God spoke through me. So you've got a decision to make as you go through life. Someday you're going to come to that day when you step out into eternity also, and you either will have lived your life according to a boring book 
that has no significance whatever, but gave you every significance in the world, or else you will have lived it on GQ magazine. That's your choice. Pay your money and take your choice. But I want to tell you what, what impressed David was God had spoken through him. Now, notice what he says God taught him. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. If he does that, what will it make him to be like? He shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises on a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear uh, shining rain. And so David says, if God raises you to a position, one thing is essential, and that is that you rule in a just way and that that ruling be by the fear of God. Now, you're going to go to be pastors and missionaries and workers in the church, and what is the most important single thing that you will do? You'll be ruling over God's people. You're not a ruler, you're a servant. But nevertheless, God raises you up and gives you authority and gives you rule over God's people. And the question is, how will you rule? Many people rule in their own interests. Many people rule in the interest of an oligarchy, a group of men who seem to have the power. It's common in every country in the world. How shall God's people rule? We must rule according to justice. Now, it's very difficult sometimes to discover what is the just move to make. But nevertheless, if you're going to be a ruler under God's economy, you must rule according to justice. And you must rule in the fear of God. When you rule in the fear of God, you understand that you're dealing with the lives of people. Somebody ever do this to you? World without end, I have people walk up to me and say, well, what can we pray for you about? I always suspect a little bit of uh, uh, falsity in that, but nevertheless, they may mean it very well. And in any event, I have the instant response to them. I say, you know, the longer I live, the more I understand what Solomon said when he said, God, give me wisdom. And I'll tell you why I feel that way, and I think it's the same reason Solomon did. Solomon realized that every day he made decisions that affected the lives of men forever. You lop off a head over there. You try to pin one back on over here. You are constantly dealing with people from a position of leadership. You are trying your very best to help things to go well with them. You're a servant leader. You are dealing with someone else's life. You better do it in the fear of God. Don't tease yourself into believing that you have the wisdom natively to deal with this man's life, that you can deal with this woman's life and know how to do it. You can't. And that's why you must rule in the fear of God. If you successfully help this individual, if you pick them up out of their sorrow, if you help them on their way, if you get them to God, you must do so in the fear 
of God. What an unbelievable thing. If somebody came to you and gave you $10 million and said, be careful how you use it, you would be so grateful. You would use great care in that. God has given you something far more important than that. He has given you the lives of people placed in your hand. And he has said, you are responsible and you better rule in the fear of God. And what happens when you rule in the fear of God and when you do justly? It's like the sun rising on a cloudless day. Now, you can't really appreciate that unless you've been to Africa. But, oh, it is a beautiful day in Africa when the sun rises in the east across those vast plains. The acacia trees are standing the most unusual trees in the world unless it's the baobab tree. And so all of those are on the horizon and the sun comes over the mountains and you look out there and there are a hundred kinds of antelopes and other animals grazing in the fields in the morning and there's just something so invigorating about the sun coming up in the east. That's the way your life will be. That's what God wants to do with you. He wants to take you and make you a sunrise in the life of people that are spread abroad in the darkness right now. My goodness, what God is going to do. Well, let's see what else he thinks of. The second thing he thinks of is in verse 5 and following. Although my house is not so with God. He says, look, I, I, I got to tell you, my house has not been totally right with God. I, I have failed God so many times, and some of you are feeling that even today. How, how could he possibly use me? I have failed him so greatly. Yes, but God hasn't failed us yet. He has made with me an everlasting covenant. An everlasting covenant ordered in all things and secure. Notice that this everlasting covenant he has made with us, it is ordered in all ways. Now, I don't want to be accused of being a Calvinist this morning, but the fact of the matter is that God's covenant is arranged so that he takes control of all your life. He knows exactly where you're supposed to go. He knows exactly how you're supposed to get there. He has ordered all things and the covenant of God is secure. That is, God didn't make a mistake on it. God's not going to say later on, oh, I'm going to take back my covenant. I'm not going to let it apply to you. No, it's secure. For all this is my salvation and my desire. Will he not make it increase? Uh, the next thing after the word of God on David's mind and heart is what? His salvation. His participation in the covenant of grace. Here is a man who has conquered the Philistines. Here is a man who has taken down the giant. Here is a man who has come to develop a huge following and tremendous wealth. Here is a man who has all of this. And what is it he's thinking about at the moment of his death? He's thinking about the word of God, which the Lord spoke through him, and the marvelous salvation and forgiveness he has as a recipient of the everlasting covenant. 
What's really important in life? David knew. David understood. There's one final point. He knew that there would be opposition. Even though God had done all these things, there would be opposition. He speaks of it openly. But the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns that are thrust away because they cannot be taken with your hands. And once again, you nearly have to have been in Africa to appreciate that. There are more things that bite you in Africa than snakes. You can be going after an animal as hard as you can go through the thicket and all of a sudden something reaches out and grabs you and forget the animal, you're hooked and you're pulled back and you look and your whole arm is bleeding or your whole leg is bleeding and that whatever it was just reached out and grabbed you and hooked onto you and you can't get rid of it. So you say, well, I can't stand here the rest of my life. I'm going to have to take this out. I warn you, they're all barbed. And when you start to take it out, it hurts worse than it did when it went in. And it is absolute agony. I always come out of Africa looking like I was at the Battle of the Little Bighorn and didn't come out very well. You come out of there bleeding and torn and uh, you realize the thorns of Africa are a considerable problem. Nothing like the thorns of life, though. The sons of rebellion. Do you understand that there are a certain number of people out there in the world who are in rebellion against God? Do you understand that our task is to love them and to reach out to them and do everything we can to win them, but the truth of the matter is they are in rebellion against God. Their attitudes reflect that rebellion against God. And listen to me, young people, when I say to you, they will oppose you. And like those thorns of Africa, as you're running for the Lord, they'll reach out and grab you and latch on to you and do everything they can to destroy your ministry in any way that is able. Now, David remembers those. He had them in his own life. David, the great king of Israel, that God had taken from following the sheep, and anointed to be king over Israel, you would think everybody would be on board, wouldn't you? There was never a time when everybody was on board. There were always those in rebellion who did all that they could to reduce him to insignificance. Do you remember Shemai? David running from his own son, coming into Jerusalem, his son intending to kill him and uh, make himself king. Shemai goes along the Bahurim up there, and as he does so, he comes cursing as he came. The word is kalal in the Hebrew text. It means to reduce to insignificance. So Shemai, remember him? Oh, I did happen to remember his name, but it's about all you can think of. And Shemai, oh Shemai, the world knows all about him. And he is reducing to insignificance David the great king over Israel. 
And he says, you are a man of blood and your kingdom has been brought against you and God is judging you. There wasn't a word of truth in it. Wasn't a word of truth in it. As a matter of fact, David had been more kind to the household of Saul than anybody, yet Shimei blames him for every bad thing that has happened to the household of Saul. Simply wasn't true. But it didn't stop the incident from happening. You know what David did? When his men said, let us go up there and relieve Shimei of the burden of his head, which would have been rather effective. But the problem is it wouldn't have been godly. David said, leave him alone and let him curse. If God has said, curse David, who can say otherwise? And you don't know what God has told him. We don't know what God's up to. We're going to have to trust God in this. So on this day, when I ask you to remember the last words of David, Remember that what's important is the word of God. What is important is salvation. And what is important is to remember how to respond to those who attack you and falsely accuse you. It's easy to get in the flesh. You often push that way. Don't do it. Don't do it. Trust judgment totally and completely to God. That's what he says. He says, look, these people are tough to deal with. If a man touches them, he has to be armed with iron and with the shaft of the spear. But after they do all of that, they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. If you would make up your mind in your ministry that you're not going to respond defensively, oh, listen, you'll want to defend yourself so much, you want to set the record straight. Put a defense out there. Don't do it. It is recorded of Jesus that when Pilate spoke to him, Pilate said, do you not hear what they're saying against you? Are you not going to respond to them at all? And Jesus, our Lord, said not one single word. Why? Because he could trust God. He could trust his heavenly father. He knew that the proper time, the proper place, God would set the record straight. It was not for him to do. Nothing more important than you can learn in your ministry but to put the word of God first, salvation right there with it, and to trust all things to God's judgment. Don't defend yourself. Don't get into a fight. Polecat, you can probably win it, but you'll smell like that for the rest of your life. So just don't do it. Learn to trust God in all things. One of the greatest lessons you could ever learn. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how I thank you for these students today. And Lord, we're coming to the end of the semester and shortly we're going to go out to the assignments that you have given for this summer. And Lord, we're probably not going to come to the end of our ways, at least not all of us. We probably have a lot of life to live. And, but Lord, we do remember from listening to David's last words how unusual they were that they didn't focus on 
those things we thought they'd focus on, but instead they focused on the Bible, the Word of God, on salvation, and on how to respond to those who abuse us. And Lord, we pray today that you would take each student and in the teaching of that lesson this summer, that they may learn more than they would have learned in four years in school anywhere. And Lord, we pray that you would give them the souls of men and women everywhere as they share the greatness of our God. In Jesus' name, amen.